scary girl. Hi, everybody. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And, and this, this is, is Dead Time Story. Stories. We're recording remote because of Again. Corona, but for the first time in a long time. Corona. Oh, you got your mic away from, like, you have to lean away from the camera. <laughs> it is. I, have, I just realized I keep going back and forth. Because we're FaceTiming, folks, while we're, while we're recording ourselves separately. <laughs> and you're... You're like on my bed and my Bluetooth is on a stool next to me. So Got now you. it's like awkward. Okay, sure. Yeah. Whatever. It is what it is. It's fine. Everything's fine. It's, it's fine. What if I just held the microphone like it was an actual Sexy. like mic? Yeah. Yeah, do that. Yeah. I mean, you probably don't. I don't know. Ugh. Who knows? I'm going to figure it out when I have to go and edit this. And I'm like, this audio's fucked. So a few episodes ago, I was talking about Joe Exotic. It was a while ago because I was going back through episodes today working on stuff and I realized that like it was a hot minute ago that you talked about so it. So I it felt like just I yesterday. I just want to point out that I'm a trendsetter because now everybody is talking about the Tiger King. Everyone. Now, everyone. I mean, it's the magical combination of a great Netflix documentary and the quarantine because everyone is stuck at home and they're like, what am I going to watch? And the answer is the Tiger King documentary on Netflix, which is about Joe Exotic. So. It is. Well, it's honestly, and I was, I don't remember who I was talking to about it, but I'm like, it really just goes to show like the, the Joe Exotic story is an incredibly juicy story in and of itself. There's so much to it. Oh my God. But the way that they tell the story in this documentary is so good. They do. They do. But good I story. really think it's, it's all about the storytelling, mm-hmm. not just the story, because I'll be honest with you, Stephanie, I tried to start watching the staircase last night and I couldn't get through the second episode. It's I just, had to, not I as just wasn't interesting. And I was like, I know this is a good story, but I'm not into yeah. it. It's not a 13 episodes good story. That's how many episodes there are. I think that's including like the update because there was like a new there were newer episodes that were created just a few years ago. I'm glad I, yeah, I couldn't even make it through the second episode. But yeah, no, the the case is interesting, but the documentary is very slow. That's why I raved about Evil Genius so much, because Evil Genius was only four episodes, so it moved so well. Uh, and Tiger King is seven episodes, but it's a good solid seven episodes. That's one that I want 13 episodes of. <laughs> of Tiger King. Ooh, they're already talking about a season two. And you know he loves that he's like famous now. He's in prison and he's loving this. Oh, yeah. Well, you also know that he filed a $94 million civil lawsuit uh-huh, against the feds and a- is asking for a presidential pardon. Um, and I still stand by the fact that I'm pretty sure that eyeliner is tattooed. I on. believe it is. And I told Charlie that and he was like, no. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm with Look you. at I'm his prison you. video. That I'm eyeliner is still there. It's, I believe it's you. definitely tattooed. I'm totally down. So, yeah. So I'm super excited to know that the world is down with Joe Exotic. We're on your level. You know, and we know that story. It's good to be recognized, you know, (laughs) I see you and I hear you now. So Yeah, that's all I wanted to say about it. How are you doing in this in this quarantine time? Well, I was going to say I watched another docuseries last night. I watched the whole thing and it was a four episode docuseries and it's on Netflix and it's called The Pharmacist. And if you get a chance to watch it, give it a shot. It's definitely it's not. It is not funny. It is not. It's real um, sad, but it's real. No, good. I'm laughing because 
I was just thinking to myself, somebody was just telling me about the pharmacist who was it, and I think it was you five minutes ago (laughs) before we started recording. (laughs) When I was like, I'm going to talk about this on the show. (laughs) Me and Val um, were watching Grace and Frankie, and uh, I was just asking, I was like, who do you think you are on the show? Like, who do you relate to the most? Oh, yeah, who is Val? Right? And then Val's Joan Margaret. Joan Margaret. Well, no, I was asking Val if they were Saul. <laughs> I was like, because I'm definitely like the Frankie to Sarah's Grace. Like, that's definitely us. I could yeah, definitely 100%. see that being us. But That's what we said when we started this podcast. <laughs> but if we stayed friends and Saul, like, Saul's already gay, but you're gay for me, Frankie. <laughs> I love that. But yeah, if you get a chance, the pharmacist is really, really good. Um, another just like really well told story. It talks about this guy, well, this family who lost their son in a drug deal to a degree gone wrong in New Orleans and the police weren't really doing anything. And so this, this man gets on the hunt to find his son's killer. And then it spirals into the opioid epidemic that's going on in New Orleans. So dang. Yeah. It's uh, it's like evil genius. It starts out as one story and devolves or evolves into a different one altogether. And it's only four episodes, like hour long episodes each, and uh, definitely worth the watch. Yeah. But otherwise, I'm doing okay during Corona. Yeah, it's something else. It's, it's been a well, thing. You know, I'm working. <laughs> yeah, God, I can't believe you still. I'm to go working the my day job, and it's almost business as usual, really, on my end. God. Which is weird. Um, but our delivery people are no longer going into people's homes. They are, from my understanding, like just dropping stuff off, like, you know, like UPS style. So hopefully there's limited yeah. human interaction. And, uh, yeah, I'm trying to wipe things down a lot and wear some gloves and mind my business. And I'm just trying to focus more on, uh, I really want to do some more content creation. I've been like some of my artist friends doing some live streams on Facebook, but instead of like singing, I mostly just been doing like Bujo stuff, (laughs) but I'd love to do a little, like a little singing sesh, but it's been cool to play in my blackout bullet journal from Archer and Olive. Um, which yeah, it has black pages. So I'm using all sorts of like gel pens. And today I did this really cute, like citrus page where I did these little like there's like an orange slice a little grapefruit slice and this little lemon and lime right and I'm like she, she fresh oh it looks like summer's coming <laughs> right and I'll be inside so, <laughs> so Oof, here girl. we go I hope you're listening to a lot of podcasts y'all yeah I hope you guys are getting caught up on us you know we're coming up on that big old triple episode 100 on Hannah, baby. That's going to be on April 12th, you guys. And we do have something exciting planned. And we're going to make bigger announcements next week. Not because we don't know what we're doing. But because we just need to confirm um, some guests. But we'll have. You mean yes, the 16th. <laughs> the 12th is when we're trying to record the, it. The 12th is when Jay, we're going to record it. the fuck K. <laughs> no, we're to give to out all of our 12th, secrets. But we haven't confirmed that yet. But we are going to release it on the 16th. That is confirmed. That's official. And we'll have some exciting stuff to announce and things coming out and happening at that time. So get ready for it. Yeah. Mark your calendars. We might be quarantined, but this podcast sure as hell ain't. Right? That's not going to stop us from recording this three-star content that you rely on. Three-star content. And I'm saying that with all assuredness because I have a feeling that we're going to have some uh, mic issues and remote problems so but you know what we're gonna corona coming at you um yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
I saw you try to make one and then you were like, nah. <laughs> that's, that's literally exactly what happened. It was all She's over like, I'm going to make a never mind. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to do this. No, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. Just kidding. No, never, never mind. mind. No. This is why we have to do a live show when we're out of quarantine. So you guys can see our ridiculous faces. That's always how I um, clarify that uh, when we met, I, it was because I cast Sarah in a show, and I cast her because I was like, the girl gives face. She gives Thank such you. good face. I love the, every face that she makes. I want to cast her and have her make all of those faces because she's so good at them. Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, now, you guys are missing it right now. <laughs> I was like, now that we are doing a strictly audio-only uh, device or whatever. It just always makes me think of that episode of Magic Tavern where he's like, this isn't video. Oh, my God. I love this whole time. Right. They're always like, what? I love when they're like just learning things about the podcast. Yes. And you're like, okay, sure. And we're three seasons into it. I love it it so much. Oh, such a good show. Such a good show. The best. Speaking of good shows. That's what I was going to say. Hey. Hey. Sarah. Stephanie. Y'all, Y'all ready, ready to talk, to talk about, about some ghosts? ghosts? I'm oh sure my god, wait, hold on, sidetrack. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take those and know you're not ready. I started, no, it's it's still going off this. I started following Leslie Jordan on Instagram. Oh, good. And if you are not, it's the best. I have people sending me things of him all the time now, like him doing things in the quarantine. He's killing um, me. He's so, what was it? There was one where it was like me messaging my friend, my yes, like, y'all couple friends who are in quarantine. And to be like, what are y'all yes. doing? Screwing? Yes. <laughs> so anyways, dedicated to Leslie Jordan and his funny ass little self. Go follow him on Instagram if you don't already. So I'm going to talk about John and Neil List. So, I mean, you know, content warning. I want to get better about content warnings. That's the thing that I'm leaning into. This entire podcast should just start with, hi, I'm Sarah. Hi, I'm Stephanie. And this is a content warning. Um, On CJ's podcast, which is the gay agenda, <laughs> at the beginning of every episode, it's like, content warning. This episode contains blah, 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 blah. Um, but, I mean, huh. we don't have to do at the beginning of every episode. But I think at the beginning of the story, you're like, all right, here's what's up. Um, but, yeah, this Dude killed a lot of people, and including children. So we're going to put that right there. So I'm going to talk, talk about John Emile List, who was an American mass murderer and a longtime fugitive. So he initially committed his crimes, and then he disappeared for many, many years before he was ever found and, like, dealt with. <laughs> dealt with? Yes. All right. So he was born in Bay City, Michigan. List was the only child of German-American parents, John Frederick List and Alma Barbara Florence List. Like his father, he was a devout Lutheran and a Sunday school teacher. In 1943. Oh, girl. I know, right? Was he a pillar of society? The Lord had him do all kinds of things. The Lord. (laughs) Almost like God told the people who own Hobby Lobby to uh, shut it down and fire everyone without severance or only do it. It's in God's hands now. That's what they said. Our God is an awesome God? (laughs) I don't... Our God gives some mixed signals, God. (laughs) So he was a devout Lutheran and he was a Sunday school teacher. In 1943, he enlisted in the U.S. Army and he served in the infantry as a laboratory technician during World War II. After his discharge in 1946... 
He enrolled at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, where he earned a bachelor's degree in business administration and a master's degree in accounting, was commissioned as the second lieutenant through ROTC. In November of 1950, as the Korean War escalated, List was recalled to active military service. At Fort Eustis in Virginia, he met Helen Morris Taylor, the widow of an infantry officer killed in action in Korea, who lived nearby with her daughter, Brenda. List and Helen married on December 1st in 1951 in Baltimore, Maryland, and the family moved to Northern California. The Army, realizing List's accounting skills, reassigned him to the United States Army Finance Corps. After completion of his second tour in 1952, List worked with an accounting firm in Detroit and then as an audit supervisor at a paper company in Kalamazoo, where their three children were born. Him and Helen had three children. In 1959, List had risen to the general supervisor of the company's accounting department, but Helen, an alcoholic, had become increasingly unstable. In 1960, Brenda married the general supervisor of the company's accounting department. Uh, um, sorry, no. Brenda got married and she left the house, and List moved with the remainder of his family to Rochester, New York, to take a job with Xerox, a famous you know, copy machine company, where he eventually became the director of accounting services. In 1960... 1960- Go ahead. He's still married to his alcoholic wife. To Helen, yes. In okay. 1965, he accepted a position as the vice president and comptroller at a bank in Jersey City, New Jersey, and he moved with his wife, children, and mother into Breeze Knoll, which is a 19-room Victorian mansion at 431 Hillside Avenue in Westfield. Okay? And has he killed anyone at this point? Is that like no, his hobby going- on the side? No. What? So he's a good, he, this, we're just about to get into it. So good Christian man, finger quotes, you know, did his time in the military, worked his way up through the, like, job situation, uh, has a wife, has four kids. I think that's correct. Okay. So that's where we're at right now. So that was the most recent change in his life was 1965. That's when they moved to, uh, to Westfield. Okay, so six years later, on November 9th, 1971, List methodically murdered his entire immediate family. What the fuck? Using his own 9mm semi-automatic handgun and his father's Colt 22 caliber revolver. So all the kids and his mother, everyone in that 19-room house. Everyone but his mother. But that's because she wasn't home. So while his children were at school, he shot his wife, Helen, 46, in the back of the head. Oh, sorry, then his mother. It was his mother-in-law who he didn't kill. That was also supposed to get killed. Um, His mother, Alma, 84, above the left eye. His daughter, Patricia, 16. His younger son, Frederick, 13, (gasps) arrived home from school, and he shot each of them in the back of the head. After, (gasps) After making himself lunch... List drove to his bank to close both his and his mother's bank accounts, then to Westfield High School to watch his elder son, John Jr., 15, play in a soccer game. What the actual fuck? After driving John Jr. home, List shot him repeatedly because, as misfire evidence later showed, his son attempted to defend himself. List placed the bodies of his wife and his children on sleeping bags in the mansion's ballroom. He left his mother's body in her apartment in the attic. In a five-page letter to his pastor, found on the desk in his study, he wrote that he saw too much evil in the world, and he had killed his family to save their souls. He then cleaned the various crime scenes, 
carefully cut his own picture out of every family photo in the house. Oh, that's just heartless. He tuned a radio to a religious station and then he left. The murders were not discovered until December 7th. And they happened on the murders happened on November 9th. So almost a month later, due in part to the family's reclusiveness and refusal to, and refusal to socialize, in part to the notes sent by the list to the children's schools and part-time jobs stating that the children would be visiting their maternal grandmother in North Carolina for a few weeks due to illness. So he sent that note out? Yes, to the schools. Saying they'll be... That they wouldn't be in school, yeah. Helen's mother was, in fact, ill and had canceled a visit to Westfield because of it. Had she made the trip, List later said she would have been the sixth victim. Holy crap. Okay, so then Um, he took the money and he ran? I believe so, yes. I believe he took the money and then he disappeared. He also stopped milk, mail, and newspaper deliveries. Neighbors noticed that all of the mansion's rooms were illuminated day and night with no apparent activity within them. After all the light bulbs began to burn out one by one, they called the police. (gasps) Oh my god, that's so creepy. Westfield, where no violent crimes had been committed since 1963, so it had been almost a decade since there had been like a violent crime in, in that town, received national attention as the site of the most notorious felony in New Jersey since the kidnapping and murder of the Lindbergh baby. A nationwide manhunt was launched. Police investigated hundreds of leads without success. All reliable photographs of List had been destroyed. The family car found parked at the JFK airport in New York City, but there was no evidence that he had boarded a flight. Alma's body was flown to Frankenmuth, Michigan, and interred at the St. Lawrence Lutheran Cemetery. Helen and her three children were buried at Fairview Cemetery in Westfield. Breeze Knoll, which is the name of the mansion, remained empty until it was destroyed by arson in August of 1972, nine months after the murders, a crime that remains officially unsolved. The arson, not the murders. Destroyed along... Do you think he went back and burned it down? No idea. No one knows. Yeah. Yeah. Destroyed along with the home was the ballroom stained glass skylight rumored to be a signed Tiffany original worth at least $100,000 at the time, which is the equivalent of over half a million dollars today. Holy Jesus. A new house was built on the site two years later in 1974. I bet that shit's haunted. I bet it is. That whole area. In 1971, as the FBI discovered, List had traveled by train from New Jersey to Michigan, then Colorado. He settled in Denver in early 1972 and took an accounting job as Robert Peter Bob or Peter or Bob Clark. I thought he took the name <laughs> Robert Peter Bob. I was like, what a stupid no. name. <laughs> Robert Peter Clark. But he went by Bob. <laughs> Robert Peter Bob. Robert Peter Bob. Um, you got three first names, boy. So it was actually the name of one of his college classmates. Although the real Bob Clark later asserted that he had never known John List. From 1979 to 1986, he was a controller at the paper box manufacturer outside Denver. He joined a Lutheran congregation and ran a carpool for shut-in church members. At one religious gathering, he met an Army PX clerk named Dolores Miller and married her in 1985. In February of 1988, the couple moved to Midlothian, Virginia, where List, still using the name Bob Clark, had resumed work as an accountant. In May of 1989, the 18-year-old crime was recounted on the program America's Most Wanted during its first year on the air. 
Wow. The report featured an age-progressed clay bust sculpted by a forensic artist named Frank Bender, which turned out to bear a very close resemblance to Liszt's actual appearance. On June 1st, less than two weeks after the broadcast, Liszt was arrested at a Richmond accounting firm after a Denver neighbor recognized the description and alerted the authorities. List continued to stand by his alias for several months, even after extradition to Union County, in, uh, which is in New Jersey, in late 1989. But finally, faced with irrefutable evidence, including a fingerprint match from List's military records, and then with evidence found at the crime scene, he confessed to his true identity February 16, 1990. At trial, List testified that his financial difficulties reached crisis level in 1971 when the Jersey City Bank closed and he lost his job. To avoid sharing the humiliating development with his family, he spent each workday sitting at the Westfield train station reading newspapers until it was time to come home. He skimmed money from his mother's bank accounts to avoid defaulting on his mortgage. A court-appointed psychiatrist testified that Liss suffered from obsessive-compulsive personality disorder and that he saw only two solutions to his situation, accept welfare or kill his family and send their souls to heaven. Welfare was an unacceptable option, he reasoned, because it would expose him and his family to ridicule and violate his authoritarian father's teachings regarding the care and protection of family members. On April 12th... Sure, so it's better to just murder them. Because they'll go to heaven this way rather than live in destitute and know that their father shamed them. It would be... That would be a fate worse than death. He didn't consider selling that Tiffany piece that was in his ballroom. Girl. <laughs> he couldn't sell that house, that mansion. On April 12th, 1990, List was convicted of five counts of first-degree murder. At his sentencing hearing, Good. he denied direct responsibility for his actions. Quote, I feel that because of my mental state at the time, I was unaccountable for what happened. I ask all affected by, the, by this for their forgiveness, understanding, and prayer. The judge was unpersuaded. The judge said, John Emil List without remorse and without honor. After 18 years, five months, and 22 days, it is now time for the voices of Helen, Alma, Patricia, Frederick, and John F. List to rise from the grave. He imposed a sentence of five terms of life imprisonment to be served consecutively, the maximum permissible penalty at the time. List filed for an appeal of his convictions on the grounds that his judgment had been impaired by post-traumatic stress disorder due to his military service and his time in Korea. He also argued that the letter he left behind at the crime scene, essentially his confession, was a confidential communication to his pastor and therefore inadmissible as evidence. Are you fucking kidding me? The federal appeals court rejected both arguments. They said what I just said. Yes. Are you fucking kidding me? List eventually expressed a degree of remorse for his crimes. I wish I had never done what I did, he said. I regretted my action and prayed for forgiveness ever since. When asked by Connie Chung in 2002 why he had not taken his own life, he said he believed that suicide would have barred him from heaven where he hoped to be reunited with his family. You can't kill yourself first. You can't. List died of complications from pneumonia at the age of 82 on March 21st, 2008. While in prison custody at St. Francis Medical Sister Center, excuse me, in Trenton, New Jersey, in the reporting his death, the New Jersey Star Ledger referred to him as the boogeyman of Westfield. It's so sad when, when it when it's a family member and they just like execution style their family. 
the whole family. The whole, even the key went to the kids' basketball game. And, and sat there them. like nothing happened, like nothing, nothing was, was wrong. wrong. Right. Sat through the whole thing. How can you in good conscience do that? I mean, well, a normal person He's wouldn't. like, I'm yeah. sending them to heaven. It's better than being poor. Oh, God. Can you imagine? I can only imagine. That's a song, isn't it? Yep. Sarah, what are you talking about this week? Um, so mine's definitely not as heavy as killing your whole fucking family. That's good. But I dubbed my story this week, What's That Smell? Oh, I like it. So, um, this is, uh, something that was told to me by, like, a friend of a friend. And it's gonna be based off of the urban legend. And I don't know if you've ever heard the urban legend, but there's a legend about a couple checking into a hotel room and being like, it smells so weird in here, but they stick it out for the night. And there's, and there's a, dead a dead body, body under, under the, the mattress. Bed. Yep. Yeah, no, that shit's real. Tell me about it. There's multiple cases of people finding dead bodies in hotel rooms stuffed under the bed after people stayed in the hotel room for the night. Tell me about it. Uh. Tell me all the crazy stories. Ugh. Smell me about it. That's what happened. Um, so... I wrote, what's that smell? Probably a dead body under your, Elisa your Lamb. hotel room. Oof. That's what's that taste. Tell me about so, it. The real stories behind the tales. Um, the first cases of the urban legend popped up in a book of legends in 1991. However, the actual cases of bodies being found, from what we can find in newspaper clippings, goes back through the... Uh, late 70s, early 80s. I so I just grabbed a few of the real stories of this actually happening. And I'm going to tell you some of those. But be forewarned, if you're in your hotel room and it smells like there's a dead body, go to management. That's because there is. Because there probably is. And the other thing I've learned from reading all these stories is that management is going to try to brush you off. Don't go ahead and stay the night in the room. You can go somewhere else. <laughs> Unlike these people. Um, so one of the older ones that I found is in 1982. You had three men, Richard Kuklinski, Daniel Deppner, and Gary Smith. And they were three friends who were into... All great names. Oh, yeah. Totally names of people who are going to be in the, um, the stories. Um, but they were three friends who ran an auto theft scam until Kuklinski and Deppner decided that three's a company and two is better. I don't know. So they decided to kill Smith. Um, I guess he was dead weight. I mean, he was after they killed him. <laughs> I was like, you weren't looking at me to re realize whether or not you got my pun. All right. Anyways, um, Kuklinski and Deppner decided to feed Smith a cyanide laced burger Classic. while they were all in a hotel or a motel. And when that was taking too long, Kuklinski just strangled Smith because the poison was taking way too long. <laughs> He's like, I can't fucking wait. For He's this like, poison. this is why do we do this? This is the long way. Um, the pair stashed his body under the motel bed and left. His body was found nice. four days later after multiple guests who had rented the room complained about the smell. Nice. 1987 in Rosedale, Maryland. Uh, a man died from a heroin overdose when one of the 34 balloons of heroin in his stomach burst. 34 people. Just one? 34. <laughs> Just one of I the guess. First. They must have been really full. 
Well, I mean, at that point, when I mean, one bursts takes, and you're about to you know, die, does it really say, matter? I mean, it only takes one time. The rest of them burst, too, I'm sure, when he died and all the gases <laughs> compressed. Anyways, oh his partner stashed his body under the bed and split. And three days later, it was found when the family who rented the room complained about the smell. Oh, my God. Can you imagine that Yelp review? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> we went to Rosedale, Maryland on a family vacation. However, we were met with traumatizing events. Two stars. Um, <laughs> two stars. Only giving this two stars because we did get a continental breakfast. <laughs> the continental breakfast was to die for. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, all right. We're going to skip ahead a little bit to 1994. Okay. To Florida. The body of 47-year-old Brian Gregory was tucked under a platform bed and discovered. He had been there for almost a week, and although staff noticed the smell, they didn't go in to investigate it until after a couple spent the night in the room and complained. Yeah, I love it. 1999, Atlantic City. Remains of a 64-year-old were found inside the bed frame, once again only discovered after a couple spent the night lying on top of the body and complained about the smell the next morning. I mean, think about it. How else would it get found? The only other person that comes in there is the cleaning lady. When would she really go under the mattress other than changing the sheets? Like, if it's tucked into the she middle. Would smell it. Not if it's not smelling yet. If it's. Yeah, but after, like, right, two that's what days. I'm saying. If it's only been a day. They wouldn't find it that first day. Yeah. And then they're not going to go in there until somebody stays in it again. They're not going to go clean a room that nobody slept in. I don't know. I still feel like. I'm, I'm they just like, it's not. I don't blame the cleaning lady. I blame the murderer, you know? Don't. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, do you, though? Because that's apparently this is a genius Appa- hiding that's spot. That's what I'm learning. Apparently, like, if you're going to kill someone, you should stuff their body in, under Don't worry. A that's motel. what's going to happen to you. They'll talk about it on the Netflix documentary. Just kidding. It's going to be oh, okay. me because Christina's going to take my spot. You're going to stuff me under a no, motel No, Christina's going to kill mattress. me. And that's where they're going to find me is under the hotel mattress. All right. Sorry, Christina, for giving you these ideas. Yes, got to be May. Before we can leave our houses. That's when we're going to be able to get out yep. of quarantine. <laughs> it's going to be May. Um, all right. Fast forward. 2003. A man checked into a hotel in Kansas City and he began complaining about a foul odor in his room. He was told by management that nothing could be done about the smell. So suck it up, you pussy bitch. And That's what they said. To... They called him a pussy bitch to his face. <laughs> and he was like, I got to stay in the room. I'm not a pussy bitch. So he stayed in the room for three more nights until he finally could not handle the smell anymore and checked out. At that point was when staff and the cleaning ladies came in. They lifted the bed and they found a man's body in the advanced stages of decomposition. My favorite thing, I have one more story, but it's a little different than the ones that I told you. All of these that I liked and I compiled them, it's because the bodies were found after people had already stayed in the room and slept on top of the corpse. (laughs) There are other cases where the body is found before other people rent the room, where the room isn't rented and people don't go in to clean it, and then people around that room start complaining of the odor. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so they're, like, in the room next door, and they're like, I don't know what they're doing in that room, but it smells like death. 
And then the other correlation between all of these is that they all happen at motels, which I think even in hotels, they go in and tidy up and clean things, even if the room hasn't been rented. But in motels, they don't go in to clean up after you if you're there and they're not going to go in and clean if no one's rented the room. So there's definitely a higher chance of this happening in a motel than a hotel. But the last story I... I still argue in most places they wouldn't clean a space that no one had been in. I feel like it's a health code thing that they have to at least go in and check. When no one's been in there? I don't there? know. I don't work in a hotel. <laughs> I don't know. I don't work in a hotel. If you work in a hotel and you listen, email us and, and tell us if we're right or wrong. And have you found oh, a dead honey. body? If they work in a hotel, they're not working right now. Oh. That's one of the industries that's hit real bad. Yeah. So you have plenty of time Sorry. to listen to our show. Sorry, y'all. Sorry, y'all. Sorry about um, it. So my last one is the most recent bed under or body under a bed in a hotel. And this happened in July of last year. Oh, yeah. In Austin, Texas. Yeah, it did. A woman's corpse was found under the mattress in the bed frame of a room at the roadway inn. She had been there for three days before being found despite housekeeping and detectives having entered and searched the room. Dang. So this woman went missing, um, and the day that she went missing, I believe it was her daughter, called police and said she's missing, and we think, like, I'm pretty sure her on-again, off-again, not-together-right-now abusive boyfriend murdered her because he sent a text message saying, you know, like, I'm, I'm leaving, I've made a big mistake, I'm leaving town. Uh, and then she ended up going missing. So the police finally found him a day and a half after the missing persons report was put in. They arrested him and he confessed God to bless. murdering her and stashing her body in the hotel room. So then detectives went and searched the hotel room and they didn't find her. And so they go back and that's when he apparently whispered to detectives, look in the box under the bed. And he had in these in a lot of these hotel beds, the box spring is on top of just sort of like a boxed frame at the bottom so that you can't stick stuff under the bed. It's just like a box and the box spring sits on top of that and the mattress on top of that. So if you lift up the box spring, there is like an empty space between the box spring and the floor. And that's apparently my thing where is where were they looking when they went in there? Because of course that's where the fuck it was. They, like where were they looking? I don't know. They didn't expect it. They haven't heard this story. They probably were checking like the closet, under the rug. I don't know. <laughs> well, they were wrong. Behind the obviously. curtains. <laughs> but yeah, the most recent case of a uh, body being under a bed in a hotel happened not even a year ago. But the difference with that one is that that room had not been rented out. However, housekeeping had been in the room after what's-his-name, you know, left because he rented it, murdered her, stashed her. He left. They came. They cleaned. They saw. They left. Detectives came. They searched. They didn't find it. And then the third day, they found her. So, yeah. Uh, that's my story. Damn. I'm sticking that's, to it. What's that That's smell? crazy, man. That's a... Right? I had this person tell me, like, have you heard about the story of bodies being stashed under beds in hotel rooms? And I was like, there is no way. And it's real, real. Like, not for play play. It's for real, real, not for play play. 
It's not a real roll. It's a real roll, death, death, murder, murder, hide, hide. The body. <laughs> body. <laughs> hide, hide, the body, body. Hi, hi, well, dang. All right. Um, Woo. Well. We're one episode closer to 100. We sure are. Oh, my God, you guys. Big announcements coming next Corona week on episode 99, if you can get ready for it. Woo. But, yeah, so episode excited. 100, it's going to drop on the 16th of April, which is when it would normally be anyway. But uh, and we will plan a live show at a later date. But it is going to be special, and it's going to be cool. And you should be there, or be square. Be there, be square, follow us on everything of course. so you can watch it. So in the meantime, if you are fortunate enough to still be in a position where you want to help the show and you can afford to financially do that, you can help us by subscribing to our Patreon page where you can subscribe for as little as a dollar and that will get you access to our Patreon-exclusive Facebook group, which is a banging good time. And there... Oh, yeah, we're killing Oh, my God, it's memes. so, so, so amazing. But there's also a $5 and $15 tier with even more amazing, incredible, I want to say prizes, but you understand. And, of course, if you aren't able to donate <laughs> to the Patreon, the best way you can help us out is by giving us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you take a screenshot of that and you send it to us, either an email, which is deadtimestories at gmail.com, Dead Time Stories with a Z, of course. Then we will send you an awesome fucking sticker, my friend. And you'll get that delivered straight to your motherfucking house because USPS is still running as of this recording. Yeah, we will. Yeah. I don't see that going out anytime soon. Right. I don't know if we'll be allowed to go to the, the post office, but we don't need to. We can put it in an envelope. That's what we usually do. Exactly. And the virus doesn't live on cardboard for too long. And I think same thing for paper. 24 so. hours. <laughs> Bam. You're not going to get that sticker within 24 hours of us. Right. So, so if no anybody's worries. getting it, it's, uh, it's the post office and you're going to be safe. So do what you got to do. Um, I don't have any gigs to plug because I don't have any regular internet things happening right now. But that is a thing that's going on. Um, a lot of artists are doing like live streaming content. I have all sorts of ideas, but because I'm still also doing my regular job, I haven't really like honed in on that. But, you know, I want to. Things will happen. You yeah. you understand. Yeah, we have episode 100 coming up. We this is content. This so is yeah, content. episode 100 is coming up on the 16th. Be there, be square. Otherwise, I think we're done here, right? Yeah, let's get the hell out of here. Yeah, Yay. I'm Stephanie. I'm Sarah. And, and this, this has been, been Dead, Dead Time, Time Stories. Stories. Thank you for listening. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Ferguson. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. 